We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Father, we come today and to bring you glory and, and honor, not to ourselves, O Lord, not to us, but to you, Father. That your name be the glory because of your love and your great faithfulness, Father. We come today and we ask that you please have mercy on us, O Lord, and according to your unfailing love, that you please just show us that wonderful grace and mercy that you've shown us, that you've given us through the work of the cross the sacrifices that you made on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in you. And Father, we just ask according to your great compassion, Lord, that, that you please blot out any transgression within our hearts. Wash away all of our trespasses, our sins, our failures, and make us clean today that, Lord, we might approach your word with righteous hearts. This morning I beg you, Lord, to give each one of us your shield of victory over sin. Father, we all come to the table with something. We all come to the altar stained. And I just pray this morning, God, that you would allow us to confess this morning before you that we are sinners. And Lord, that you would forgive us of all of our sins, that we might open your word and be pure before your eyes. Lord, fill me this morning, empower me with your word, that I might speak the truth of your scripture today. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we're back again in the book of First Peter. Uh, we've been speaking about Christians. The context of First Peter is a bunch of Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. They're going through hard times. These Christians, if you remember, are being burned to death by Nero, beaten. They're verbally abused and many killed via sport. Now, while I don't really understand this because it's never been a part of my life, we see it in the media and we see it all around. This morning, I got an email uh, from Voice of the Martyrs talking about Nigeria. And on the front page of this email, they showed three churches blown to pieces as these people on purpose went in on Sunday morning and set bombs and blew up these churches. And so all around us, people are, are dying, being persecuted, for their faith, and that's what we see in the context of First Peter, is a group of people that are being martyred and challenged to stand up for their hope in Jesus Christ. And I think that Peter really encourages these people, not that their lifestyle will be great, not that they will receive a lot of great things, but their, their encouragement comes when we see Jesus Christ face to face. You know... That's what encourages me as a Christian to know that, you know, though we may not endure 
physical persecution. When we share our faith and when we invest in the lives of people outside of here and we talk about Jesus Christ being the only way to salvation, people persecute us verbally. And so that's an encouragement to me to know that well, probably only a few more years that I'll have to endure that the way I feel when I wake up in the morning. But that one day we will stand before Jesus Christ, our King. The one that we sing all of these praises to this morning. We will have an opportunity to see Him face to face. That is where our hope should lie. And my hope this morning and desires to simply give you what the Word of God teaches us. Just what Peter is communicating to these people of this time and in how it relates to us today. Last week we built on our outline, if you remember, as we looked at Peter's description of the victorious Christian life. We saw that, you know, as Christians, as victorious Christians, we should desire the attitude of Jesus. The desire to follow in His footsteps. The desire to suffer for the sake of Christ. Because when we suffer, Christ suffers along with us. We also saw our desire should be for the will of God. We should desire to do what God has willed us for in this life. And then lastly, the hope that it all came down to. The, the, the main point is that we should desire our eternal hope. Because listen, when we have the attitude and we suffer for Christ, our final hope and our encouragement is the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what Peter wanted to give us last week. This week we're going to be looking at Peter's description of the Christian lifestyle. Okay, and so we see point number one there is that the end times should bring about... Christian urgency. We should have an urgency about us as Christians. And then secondly, the end time should bring about Christian living within our lives. So being that we have a lot of ground to cover, let us dig into the text this morning. But I do want to say before we get started, there are a lot of imperatives in this passage of Scripture. And I know we've been listening and I've talked about imperative after imperative after imperative as a pastor because I want to explain to you that imperatives are commands. And sometimes as a Christian, even myself, a command is hard for me to deal with. But listen, don't harden your heart this morning. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict your life and take it as a good thing, not a bad thing. Not as something as I'm pointing down on you, but that I've pointed back at myself. This is what Scripture is teaching us. Hold on to that conviction this morning. And write it down in your notes as God speaks to your heart. Because He wants to make you more into the image of Christ. That is a glorious encouragement. To know that God loves us so much that He would not leave us in our current circumstances in life, that He wants to grow us, that we might be used more and more every day for His kingdom and His glory. While there are many imperatives, there are some great promises hidden within these passages as well. And we need to claim them this morning. Well, let us get started. If you will, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter, chapter 4, 7 to 11. It says this, The end of all things is near. 
Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, as, as I studied this passage, I thought, man... There's a lot of information within this passage of Scripture. Uh, I could take just a few of these imperatives and preach three or four messages within this text itself. But as I prayed about it and I sought the Holy Spirit, He wanted me to give the whole sandwich, not just a bite here and a bite there. And so this morning, we're going to cover a lot of information. And so hang on tight because we're going to fly through this. I think as we read this passage of Scripture, it's helpful to evaluate not only our church, but churches across America. Because the reality is, too many churches in America and across the world lack love and common purpose within its doors. In many churches, the very pipeline that leads to the Lord is sometimes broken. As we approach the last of the last days, which I believe that we're in, no man knows the time or the day, but boy, the signs are laying out before our very eyes. And listen, the enemy, he will bring forth opposition. And this can weaken and even eventually destroy churches. And so now I want to make it understood that as your pastor, I don't want this to be the case for Mission Bible Fellowship in no shape or fashion. I want us to see the importance of what Peter is saying about these Christians living and how it's vital to our growth as a group of Christians to be strong in our fellowship with one another and that we have a special loyalty to each other as members of this church. The end is near. The end is near. And so this commitment to one another and our commitment unto the Lord Jesus Christ is vital in what Peter is saying here in this passage of Scripture. There are two things that I think will help us understand as we lay this out this morning that will benefit our walk with Jesus Christ and our relationship with Him. The first point that I want to look at today is number one, end times. The end times should bring about Christian urgency. Now, you know, end times or the second coming of Christ has, has been a major topic throughout Scripture. Peter has held this time when Jesus is to return and to come back and to receive His bride as high regard. And he has pointed us to a moment several times as he talks about it as we see there in chapter 1 verse 5. 
As he talks about salvation and how we are to be ready to be revealed in the last time. He talks about it in verse 6 of chapter 1 as he says, so, the, so that your faith, even by tested by fire, will have result at the revelation of Jesus Christ. His focus is on the return of Jesus Christ. Because in the midst of what these people are going through, the persecution in which they're having, the only good thing they have to look forward to is the coming of Messiah for the second time. To remove them out of the lifestyle in which they're in to where there's no more suffering, no more pain, but now only praise and glory and honor as they were with their king. We also see it in chapter 4, verse 13, as he says, to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at your revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. We also see it in chapter 4, verse 17. We also see it mentioned of the return of Christ in chapter 5, verse 1, and also chapter 5, verse 10. We see Him speak of this event in end times very, very often because this was their hope. And I think this morning we need to claim that hope. We need to be more heavenly focused. Not so heavenly focused that we're of earthly no use. But we need to remember that our goal and our finish line is when we see Jesus Christ face to face. The reality is, is you're going there or He's coming here. It really makes no difference which one happens first. We're all going to stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it should not be a moment in which scares us. It should be a moment which we should rejoice in. You know, this is not the only book in the Bible that speaks about the important topic of the second coming of Jesus. Romans 13.11, as he is speaking about, the, about love, Paul says this, Do this, knowing the time. That is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. He's saying it's close. Peter's saying time is close. And listen, this was a long time ago. I don't know when he's coming, but if it was close then, it's really close now. So we also see there in James chapter 5, verse 8, that it says, You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, we see right here in this very passage in verse 7, he says, The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. There have been messages of the second coming of Christ for 2,000 years. And yet our King has not returned. I mean, here in 1 Peter, it really seems to be pushing the point that the return that he's speaking of should have already taken place. So what is he implying? What does it look like in our day when we tell people Jesus is coming? Listen, when you warn people who are not in Jesus Christ that the God of this world is returning and that day will be absolutely wonderful and yet absolutely terrifying. They say, oh, you've been saying He's coming for 2,000 years. He's not coming. It's the same thing they dealt with in the Bible times. They had accusation that their king would not come. So what is he saying? 
Has the New Testament been in error this whole time? Is He not coming? Of course not. You see, time affects only those that live within its bounds. It affects us. Because if I don't finish until 2 o'clock, you're going to be pretty upset. <laughs> time in our world means a lot. But God's not bound to time. And He is so merciful and graceful. Think about it. If Jesus came today, think of all the souls that would inherit hell. God is more patient than I am because I want Him to come. But that's selfish. Because there's souls out of these doors that need to be won for Christ. The reality is, the second coming is a repeated theme throughout the Bible. And it is always for our encouragement. And it will be a reality one day. But it's only a reality for one generation of believers. Maybe it'll be ours. Maybe not. I don't know. Now, where in the New Testament does it talk about the time of Christ? As He will return, it simply says about His coming. It doesn't tell us when. Eschatology, the study of, and Scripture of the end times and the second coming of Christ, listen, is always used as an encouragement for believers to live in a godly way. You see, we tell people the, that God is coming so either they'll repent or we'll stop playing games and start living lives for the Lord. It's always an encouragement to live godly lives. A call to holiness before God. Now, we are not simply to, to sit down and, as Christians and to look up and to wait on God. No, we're, not, we're to be of earthly value for the kingdom's sake. We, that's not what Peter's talking about here. He's teaching us just the opposite of sitting around and doing nothing. Now, I know many in our church are very involved, are very active in the ministry of this church and in ministries outside of this church. And it is a wonderful encouragement to your pastor to see the work and the accomplishment that you are doing for the kingdom of Christ. But in the same manner, there are many in the church today that come to get. And our responsibility as Christians when we come to church is not what we can get, but what we can give. It's about giving praise. It's about serving your brothers and sisters. It's about what we give back to God. And I'm encouraged because we have a lot of people in our church who are active for the kingdom's sake. You see, end times brings about an urgency for the Christian. And if I were to tell you that this week would be the last week of the rest of your life on this earth, how would you live differently? Would you uh, focus your time on finishing your bucket list? Whatever that is? Or would you try to focus the things that matter now? You see, when, when we are struck with the reality that our life is going to go away, it puts our focus in perspective. Because we know this world will be burned up, will pass away. But our eternity with God is a reality. 
Would you just try to finish up those things that need to be done or would you really focus on the spiritual matters of life? I'd want to share my faith with everybody. I'd want to show them the encouragement that God has given me to show that I have a hope of eternal glory with the King. And that though my life may end, and God, I pray that You give me the strength that I'm ever diagnosed with something that will end my life, to say, you know what? I have a bigger hope than this flesh, than this body. And when people around you see that, let me tell you what, if you haven't met with Miss Rosemary Sweet, you've not been encouraged. Because let me tell you, under her circumstances, she gives hope and glory to God. And it is such an encouragement to me to see her standing firm in her faith, no matter her situation. I would hope that it would have an urgency in your life to fulfill the ministry God has given to you. We wouldn't want to just settle to finish the normal mundane things of life. But we would want to fulfill our ministry. Listen, death and the end times bring about urgency for us as believers. And if there is not an urgency in your life this morning, I plead with you that you evaluate. Think about it. If I were to die tomorrow, how would life be? How would I change? There's no more forgiveness to be asked. There's no more souls to lead to Christ. There's no more gathering together for the Lord's Supper. There's no more love that you can give to your brother or sister in Christ. Your work will simply be done on this planet. And we all have been called to endure the hardship, the suffering for Christ, and fulfill your ministry and my ministry. Peter wants these people along with you and I today to understand that the end time, listen, is near. There is an urgency, yes, to share your faith, but more than that, Peter wants to clarify just what he has to say as he tells us the end is near. I like this thought that a, that a commentator wrote about Martin Luther. Martin Luther said when asked what he would do if the end were to come today. He says, and I quote, he replied that he would plant a tree and pay his taxes. You know, what, what Luther meant by that was that he lived every day in light of the end. And therefore, he would do the appointed task of that day. Can we honestly say that in our lives that we would comment like that? Do we live our lives every day as if it was the last day? Because we're, we're not guaranteed another minute. I could kill over in this pulpit. I pray it don't happen, but it could be. I keep saying that long enough. It will happen. <laughs> you see, we need to make sure that we're living for the end times. The Bible, when it speaks of it, is real. It's important. It's going to happen. It should bring about urgency in our lives to share our faith, to invest with others, to be committed to one another in the faith. 
The second point I want to look at today is this. Number two, the end times should bring about Christian living. We've already stated that the end times should be about bringing an urgency. And while, uh, while it may bring about many types of urgency, Peter wants to make it clear to you and I just what it is that he wants us to be urgent about. You know, I find it very interesting what he says here. He says this, Therefore, therefore be, sound, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now he says, therefore, and you know the drill, when you see the word therefore, you ask, what is it therefore? Well, therefore is to take us back to the previous part of this first verse, when he says, the end is near. Because the end is near, therefore, because the second coming of Christ is fixing to take place, do these things. Peter now begins to give us a list of our favorite things imperatives. And please listen, don't shoot the messenger this morning. I'm just simply going to read what it says. These are commands that Peter gives us. They're not optional. We, when, I look at, when I look at passages, I look at sins that should be avoided. I look at commands that are to be followed. I look at examples to be followed. I look at... Scriptures to memorize. So that when we look at the Word of God, we have a good balance of the sin that we should avoid, the commands we should obey, the examples we should follow, and some important Scriptures that will help us in our daily walks with the Lord. Does this mean we will always be successful, folks? Listen, I'd be lying to you right now to your face if I told you you will always be successful. You will fail. I will fail. But the glory and the great message that comes with it is listen. Our salvation in Christ is secure. It's not the life we live that brings us to the righteousness of God. It's the life we live that continues to feed us joy. It continues to give us purpose. It continues to bring joy to the Father when we listen and obey His commands in Scripture. Listen, my kids clean the house not because they want to, because it makes Daddy happy. Listen, the reality is that sometimes I don't want to obey these things. But I try my heart out because I know it's going to bring joy to the Father. You see, when we're transformed, when we're renewed in Christ, when the old is gone and behold the new is present, there should be a desire in your life and in mine to please the Father. Because He who loves me will keep my commandments. And when we don't follow these commandments, we're not showing love to the Father. We're saying, you know what God, i got this covered, I'm going to do it in my own way. And unfortunately, that happens in our lives. But the encouragement is to stand firm. You know, I watched the Olympics. This is not in my notes. I hope it's okay to say this. But as I watched the Olympics, I don't have a clue what the lady's name was. But she was running that race, and she fell. And what happened in that very moment showed the character within her. She stayed down. Let me tell you what. You're going to fall. But Jesus Christ has had victory. 
and you can get back up and you can finish that race with everything within you. She would have had more publicity today if she would have finished well than laying down. We can have a rejoicing with our Father when we get back up from failing and we finish the race with perseverance. It is always important to be of sound judgment and sober in spirit for the purpose of prayer. He's drawing near to us, folks. He is drawing near. He says, uh, with these imperatives, that we are to be of sound judgment. That's the first imperative that He gives us. To be sober in spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now, what that means, sound judgment, sober in spirit, simply means to be clear-minded and self-controlled. Clear-minded, self-controlled for the purpose of prayer. Listen, the end time shouldn't make us urgent that we work so hard in doing good that we never pray. Because listen, the old saying is, you come to church on Sunday morning, you figure out how popular the worship team is. You come to church on Sunday night, you figure out how popular the pastor is. But you come to church on Wednesday night, you figure out how popular God is. Because prayer is what moves people. We can do good all day, but if we're not praying diligently, we're just working. We can't affect the hearts of man. Only God can. And He wants us to know that prayer is very vital when we are looking in light of the end times and when we are not. Prayer is important as we draw near to the end. Listen, we don't save people. God does. And when we stop as humans trying to give people into the kingdom of God and start praying people into the kingdom of God, people will begin to flood the churches because we've taken out our hands and trusted in God. Prayer simply takes you out of the picture and says, I'm not worthy or able to do it. We have to pray for one another. Listen, I know there's many people in your families. There are many brothers and sisters that you know that you have that are not with the Lord. But the best illustration I can give you is my own very Father. All of those years I shared, I shared, I shared, I shared, I shared. He never heard. But when I finally got on my knees and I said, God, I can't do it. I know you have to save this man. I pleaded with God. And one year later, after years of pleading, not only for myself, but my own very children, God answered the prayer. I didn't talk to Him about the things anymore. I didn't argue with Him about the things anymore. I just loved Him and prayed for Him. That's what we have to do. You know, I've got some quotes here that I want to share with you. The first one comes from Hudson Taylor and he says this, It is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. Now, Hudson Taylor was a godly man, a missionary, and let me tell you, he could pray the boots off of somebody. We need to pray because that 
is the way people are moved by God is through prayer alone. Oswald Chambers says this, Prayer is the exercise of drawing on the grace of God. Grace is, is getting something you don't deserve. And when we pray, we say, God, I know they don't deserve it. I know that I don't deserve it. But I'm pleading with you and God in His great, wonderful grace and mercy gives back to us through prayer. The last one is Andrew Murray. And I couldn't leave this out. My father-in-law would be very disappointed with me because he's a, a big fan of Andrew Murray. And he says this, Learn to worship God as the God who does wonders, who wishes to prove in you that He can do something supernatural and divine. Listen guys, we were created for divine purposes. We were created for wonderful things to come out of our lives. And it starts with getting on our knees before God. It starts out by standing up before our God. It starts out by laying prostrate before our God. However you want to do it. It's acknowledging that I can't do it on my own. But God, I pray that you would use me and empower me for the purpose of your glory and your honor. Prayer is the power which brings about change in our lives and the lives around us. So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning, are we praying? Are we praying together as a church? Together as individuals? As a family? As a leadership together? Am I praying even as your pastor? More and more every day. We can all become better prayers, I believe. Now, I can speak for myself. I can't speak for you. You may be a prayer warrior. And I know they're here. I don't maybe not know who you are. But there's some things that I've gone through that I couldn't get through without your prayers. I know they exist. But we can all become better prayers. And the result will be supernatural things when we do. But we must have the right mind, he says. And we must be clear-minded and self-controlled. And we must take it seriously. I've scheduled for myself as a commitment to you in this church. It might not seem like much. But one hour a day to prayer for the people in this church and the people involved in my life. One hour a day. Could I increase that time? Of course. As I read books about people like Ian Bounds, man, they pray for five hours a day. They pray at night. There's one part in his book. His, his wife said, get back into bed. He said, woman, i got lives to pray for. He understood his need for prayer. And, I, and I've, as we've read through that, that, the power through prayer by Ian Bounds as a church, many of you have read it, it is an encouragement to know that prayer is an awesome and valuable tool for our walk as Christians. It's vital to our relationship. The question I want to ask you this morning is, will you commit yourself to prayer? The daily prayers of others. When we meet together, listen, one Wednesday a month to pray as a church, we spend one hour in prayer maybe 50 minutes. And let me tell you, that's not enough time. There are so many needs 
just within the doors of this church. And we could spend five hours praying, if not more. And let me tell you, when you're praying for people, and you've got 30 people in a room, and everybody's got a prayer request, they know somebody needs to be, they know somebody needs to be saved, an hour goes by like that. And we haven't scratched the surface to the needs that need to be lifted up. Will you give God a commitment to praying for the people in this church? Commit this week, 10 minutes. Start out with 10 minutes and add to it. Pick five people and pray for those five people two minutes each. Okay, most of you got more than five people just in your own family. And you know that you can pray for an individual for two minutes. Add one person to that list every month for a year and you will have been prayed for 16 people for 32 minutes. And watch what God will do. Watch the answers that He gives you to your prayers. Listen, when we pray to God and He blesses us and He gives us the very things that we're praying for, if it's for His glory and for His honor, it brings you to a closer relationship. When you know that the God you worship exists in a fashion in which He invests in your life. He is transcendent. But folks, I tell you this morning, He is intimate. He is invested in our lives. And when He answers prayers, it encourages us to stand strong because no one else, they can, they can mock you, they can step on you. This week I told a friend of mine, listen brother, you can trample the gospel. You can spit in my face, you can mock me, make fun of me, but I can tell you what, I've seen God work miracles in my own life. You'll never take that from me. Your testimony and how God answers your prayer is powerful in your testimony to this world because they don't see it. Our Savior thought it was important to pray as He set time to do so. And so should we. Look, you can pray when you go to bed. You can pray in the shower. You can pray driving down the road. For bid's sake, keep your eyes open. Pray during breakfast, during lunch, during dinner. Pray in troubled times. Pray in happy times. Pray when you're thankful. Pray when you're sad. Pray when you're joyful. Prayer is to be done at all times of life. And find those moments in which you can pray for people and needs within our church and within your family and within the family of God. Prayer can be done anytime. We need to come back to a focus of intentional prayer in America. There is a promise that the Lord gives us and that our prayers are heard when we have a clear mind and a clear conscience. And we need to pray more often. Peter begins his second imperative with this in verse 8. He says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. There is a command here with a promise, folks. Love one another fervently. We talked about that already, if you remember, in the first chapter of First uh, Peter, verse 22, and he says this, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love for the brethren. Now, he says, fervently love one another from the heart. 
Listen. I, I sent a, a sermon out to get evaluated by president of a college and he sent back you need to learn the correct pronunciation of brethren so if I if I mess that up forgive me okay I am from South Carolina we speak a little funny down there but the point here is that we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ fervently Peter knows that that the end times are near folks and we need to focus on the love we have for one another. Now, there's many of you I don't know. There are many of you whom I know. But I want you to just take a second and look this way, if you're on this side, and you to look this way on this side. And I want you to look, and I want you to really evaluate. Do you love your brothers and sisters over there? And do you live it out? Because the most simple thing to do is to say, you know what, Lauren, I love you. Bill, I love you. Tim, I love you. Bill, I love you. Bill Swain, I love you. But it's different when Lauren sees me really love them. It's different when Bill sees me really love them. All the Bills is different when they see me really love them. I don't know why I just thought about that. I picked like four Bills. I love you, Bills. But my point is, is he says to fervently love the brethren. And as much as I want to love you, I'm just speaking from here from my heart. If I truly want to love you, I have to get to know you. Yes, it's consistent. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have something in common. But we live in a Facebook world. We live in a media world where I can call you on the phone and say, you know what, I love you, man. That's real sweet. But do I really love you? Do you really love me? Do we really love each other? Do we spend time with each other? Do we fellowship with it? Do we get to know you and your problems? Listen, I've been here for a year and a month and there's just things I'm finding about individuals that I'm thinking I should have known about this a year ago. I could have been praying. We're to call to love one another. And my desire is to love you as Christ loved the church. And it's a hard job. But we have to start somewhere. My heart was convicted as I studied this passage. There are people in this church that I don't know. So when I ask you to come to dinner, please take me up on it. That's my cry to you that I want to get to know you. So that I can show you who I am as a person. And how I can show you that I truly love you as your pastor. So that we can be brothers and sisters, not only in Christ, but act like brothers and sisters the way I love my own brother and the way I don't have a sister, but if I did, I would love her. <laughs> Peter knows the end times are near. He knows the importance of unity. Listen, if somebody bombed our church, we would have a love that we've never experienced for one another because we would have experienced problems together. 
We don't, we don't listen. When I go to my brother and I say, listen man, I've been persecuted this week. He encourages me. He stands up for me. Because we have a love for one another. We built that. But I want to build that with all of you. I want to know your struggles. I want to know what you're going through. My office door is open for you to come at any time to express, to cry. You don't have to come preach to me. I don't have to preach to you. I just want to encourage you and tell you I love you and, I'm, and I want to cry with you. I want to clap with you. I want to dance with you. I want to do whatever it takes to make you understand that I care about who you are as a person. Because if you only know me from this pulpit, you can never truly know if I love you. Because God's Word sometimes isn't seeming loving. When He calls us to love the brethren, listen. The reality is that's hard because 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not become unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account wrongs suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoice with truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And love never fails. We are called to love each other fervently. And unless we are investing into each one's life. Listen, I know people move out here to get away from people. But you should never move out here to get away from your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no stop signs in this town. Go meet somebody. Go to lunch with somebody. Get to know. We are called to love each one another in the faith. You see, those who love one another are always ready to forgive the sins of one another. Sometimes loving people is inconvenient. Yeah, that should, now, if I was in an in a African-American church, they'd say, Amen. <laughs> loving people sometimes is inconvenient. <laughs> but again, it's a command, not an option. I should love you enough to forgive you for spitting in my face and you should love me enough for, and forgive me for spitting in your face. Knowing that you know what? The sin that's infected you has infected me and we're all sinners. Saved by the grace of God. And that we can love each other even when we step on each other's toes. Love is hard. When someone hurts you and wrongs you, talks bad about you behind your back, degrades your character, whatever the case may be, whatever you're sitting in your seat and you're thinking, how am I going to love this person? Look what they've done to me. Listen. This is when this command becomes cloudy. But listen. It's clear. It's command... And it's not something that we can choose when the circumstances are right. We're called to do it regardless of the circumstances. There will always be love that looks like we need to avoid. Always. Now listen, I, I don't mean that we ignore sin within the body. I'm not saying when, when a brother is sinning against a brother, that don't mean we ignore it. The Bible is very clear and very appropriate that we confront sin within our church if necessary and when it's necessary. 
But listen, when we do that, when, when we confront one another with sin, we better do it by the biblical model. Because when we do it by the biblical model, believe it or not, it actually works. It may be, it may be hard, but the reality is, is it works. It's good, it's profitable, it's encouraging. Listen, if you have a problem with someone this morning sitting in this church, and being that we're human beings, I'm sure we do, go to that person and talk to them. Because no problem will ever be fixed if it's not addressed. As your pastor, I hear about problems all the time. But the reality is, is I don't know how to get involved in those problems and help fix those problems unless they come to me. That's what we do when we love one another. We talk about it. We say, listen, brother, you stepped on my toes. I love you, man. Can we work this out? Will there be differences? Yes. Sometimes we can agree to disagree. I know that's not a popular term, but... Sometimes it's important we agree to disagree. And say, you know what? This, this has no eternal value. I love you. I'm just gonna, we're going to agree to disagree with each other. Not disagree with each other, but agree to disagree with each other. That don't mean I'm going to agree to disagree with Bill, but Bill disagrees with me and I'm in agreement, and he ain't. We've got to make sure we're on the same page. We talk about it. So we love each other. We don't go around talking about others, talking about the leadership. God has put these people in place. And the God I worship don't make mistakes. It may seem like a mistake, but God don't make mistakes. Okay? And so, bring that problem to the person and solve it. It's so refreshing when people come to me with problems because they usually get resolved pretty quick. They usually get resolved pretty quick. And listen, if you don't win them over then, if it's a sin issue, the Bible's clear you go with another brother and you address him. Okay? If one of the Bills sins against Bill, and Bill goes to Bill, and Bill forgives Bill, and Bill says, well, I don't want to be forgiven, then Bill comes to me and we go to Bill, and then we work it out together. And then if Bill don't forgive Bill, then me and Bill come to the congregation and say, your brother's in sin. That's how Scripture mandates it. We don't want to ever come to that point. And I trust that the leadership in this church will have the discernment to know when it's time for that. Solves, problems are solved a whole lot easier when they are addressed quickly. When we do things the way... That way we show love for each other. We show that is an aspect of love. It's not the only way of love. You know, we talked about yesterday being compassionate. Having empathy for one another. Not just saying, you know, I'm sorry you're going through that. No, really feeling your pain. Crying with those who are crying. Weeping with those who are weeping. Rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. That's, that's what love is. Listen, if my wife cries... Well, I can't use that for an example. That don't always work. <laughs> Typically. She's an emotional woman. God made her perfect. You know? We balance each other. But sometimes, listen, when she cries, it upsets me. And I cry with her. And I come alongside her. 
And then sometimes I have to tell her, Honey, I love you, but you ain't thinking outside the box here. You know, the reality is, is sometimes that's love. When we just get involved in people's lives more than Facebook, more than a telephone or an email call, or, hey, how you doing? Good to see you Sunday morning. Gone. See you next week. That's not good, genuine love for one another. At least I don't understand how to have that unless there's a good, intimate value with one another. Unless we spend time with each other. It's God's model of how we are to deal with things in the church to show love. And getting upset, getting down, and leaving, and going somewhere else doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't solve anything. It only harbors hatred. It only harbors sin. But it doesn't solve anything. Talk about it. Get it out on the table. Because you love one another. Because, listen, the end is near. And the last thing I want is one of my brothers and sisters of Christ to think that I don't love them or that I hate them or that I have some hatred of them. I don't want to go to the... Listen, I don't want to stand before God with any of that on my shoulders. And I don't want you to either. I want you to be at peace in your heart knowing that there's not one soul on this earth that you're not okay with in your own heart. That's how we love one another. He also says here in verse 10, he says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Don't miss that. If you are in Christ, each one has received a special gift. These gifts are undeserved, unmerited gifts for the purpose of ministry that God has given to you in love. He's loved you enough, He's given you a gift. And each believer, listen, has a spiritual gift that God has given at salvation for the purpose of ministry in the church. Only you can answer what you're doing for the ministry and for the church with the gift that God has given you. God is calling us to be good stewards of the gifts that He's given us. Some uh, only have one gift. Some have many gifts. We're not to desire any specific gifts. We're to take what God gives us and use them for the edification of the body of believers, for ministry and for the church. And so we need to serve Him with a servant attitude. We need to use our gifts for the church and for its people. We need to do it teaching Sunday school, serving in the nursery, teaching the kids, helping in the kitchen during potlucks, cleaning up the floors, working in the sound room, working with the worship team, doing the powerpoints, ushering, greeting, whatever it is. We are called to serve. We should be having to tell people, you know what, we don't have anything for you to do. Everybody's done pitched in. But if that's the case, boy, we'd be overblessed. These are all jobs, listen, that are very vital to the ministry of Mission Bible Fellowship. And so I'm pleading with you to get plugged in this morning. See how it is that you can be used with the gifts that God has blessed you with and serve and help others for the purpose of bringing glory to God. If you're here today, and I know that there are many are that serve in this church, I don't think we have enough opportunities to thank you for the service you bring to this church, 
into the ministries of Mission Bible Fellowship. They are essential to reaching people with the gospel of Christ. And we are grateful for what you do, and we are thankful for what you do behind the scenes. And I know many of you do a lot that never gets publicized, and that's the way Scripture wants us to be. You don't want us to brag about what we're doing, but we want to thank you for what you and how you serve in this church. It's important. The points are that, that, that gifts are to help and to serve other people. Okay? They're to help serve others. He closes with this, and so will I. He says here in verse 11, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs, belongs the glory and honor and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen, your gifts are in two categories. They are either speaking gifts or they're serving gifts. And those are the two categories that you fall into. And if you've been given a gift of speaking, then let me tell you what. Use it to speak the Word of God. The very utterances of God. Preach and teach the Word with the Scriptures, the Word of God. You teach those people out of the Bible. And if you've been given a gift of service, you should serve as if you're serving the Lord. And whatever gift it is that you have, your attitude should be one that has a dependency upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Your ability, you see, comes from God. He has blessed you with this gift. It comes from God. Don't waste it. Be a good steward of it. The end is near. These things are important because as closer we get, the worse it's going to get out there and people are going to be looking for a safe haven to where they can be loved and we'll love them because we're loving one another. People will come. Your ability comes from the Lord. He says, because all of this is done for the purpose of what? So that in all things God may be glorified. That we can glorify God through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen, it's not about Stuart. It's not about anybody else. Our service is not about getting pat on the back. Our service to the King of kings and Lord of lords is for the purpose of bringing glory to God through Jesus Christ. That is a servant attitude. That's what we need to do as Christians. And many of you are wonderful examples of that. And we are grateful for you. Listen, Jesus came to serve. And He did it until the end of His earthly ministry. And I'll tell you this morning, listen, the end is near. Remain faithful in loving one another. Serving one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. We've been blessed with gifts. Rely on the Lord that you may be strengthened by Him that you may serve until the end. Our King is coming. And sometimes it's hard. So be ready to serve to the finish line. As I watched some of those runners run, when they got to the finish line, they were slapped, tired. But they finished strong. Let us as Christians this morning finish strong because the end is near and we need one another.